Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. The podcast series has been created to shine a light on the diverse and inspiring careers of Australia's pharmacists. Each episode will focus on the varied career opportunities within the pharmacy industry by exploring the career paths taken by leaders in the fields of community pharmacy, hospital, industry, government and professional organisations. Careers never follow a defined path. Everyone's story is different and unique in their own way. The podcast series will help you discover the world of opportunities that exist and reveal pathways to achieve your dreams and aspirations. Whether you are a pharmacy student, early career pharmacist, or simply looking for a change at any stage of your career, the podcast series is designed to help you navigate ways into a career and a life that you love. Your host of the podcast series is Ali Sue. Ali, herself a pharmacist, is now the founder of Global Pharmacy Entrepreneurs and a passionate advocate for pharmacists to grow, innovate, excel, and make a lasting impact in the world. It's now over to our host, Ali Sue. Welcome to the fifth episode of Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. I'm Ali Sue. This is the last episode of 2020. We will take four weeks off and introduce you to more amazing pharmacists in 2021. Before I introduce you to our guest today, I want to thank all pharmacists and pharmacy staff for your extraordinary dedication and support to the community during this unprecedented time. It has been a tough year. Whether it is bushfires, floods, or the COVID-19 crisis, you have led from the front to provide care and ensure public safety at all times. At the end of 2020, hope you all have a well-deserved rest. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Today, we're very excited to have Joey Calendra on our show. Joey is a PSA member and a former Director of Strategic Partnership and Engagement at PSA, and a current Innovation Leader. His experiences span academia, community pharmacy, organization management, and industry. He has also worked as a pharmacist both in Australia and overseas. Joey has successfully transposed his pharmacy skills into many areas, Currently, he is a management professional with extensive experience in business strategy, partnership development, and innovation. He enables organizations to build growth through his ability to uncover new collaborative opportunities and identify trends which are pivotal to business development. I'm sure you must be curious about his pharmacy journey and how he uses his pharmacy skills. Without further ado, let's welcome Joey. Hi, Joey. How are you? Welcome to your Pharmacy Career Podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You have this amazing pharmacy career, and we're really interested to know and learn more about you and your personal inspiration journey as well as a professional pharmacy pathway. So tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up and why did you do pharmacy? (laughs) I grew up in Melbourne and I grew up in an area where there was lots of migrants. So my parents were not native speakers of English. They came from Italy after the Second World War. And I loved growing up in a really traditional household because I loved food and my mum was a great cook and still is. And I was a bit of a nerd and I'll be honest, I still am. I love being a nerd. 
I loved learning and I've always loved learning. And throughout my school years, I was really good academically. And a parent didn't push me per se, but because they didn't have opportunities in education because of the situation they were in, they always said you should really focus on getting an education. So I did. Why did I fall into pharmacy? That's a good question. I think when I was five, I wanted to be a fire engine like the truck, not a fireman. (laughs) And then as I grew up, I loved acting and presenting. I also loved science because it was the evidence behind everything. Like I was like, oh, how does that work? What does that do? And I didn't see myself in a research position, I suppose. So I thought, oh, pharmacy, you know, it's cool. You know, you get to deal with people and it's all about medicines. And my older sister was a pharmacist, so I did some placement with her at the Royal Children's Hospital. I thought, this is cool. And so that's how I ended up in pharmacy. I thought I didn't get into pharmacy straight out of high school. I did a year at science, I think science at Monash and Clayton, and then at the Monash Medical Centre, and I didn't get in. I was devastated. I was so upset. But at the same time, I had a part-time job in a pharmacy for about two years, I think, and I really loved that. I used to work on weekends. It's like a a floor assistant or retail assistant, pharmacy type assistant. And after I didn't get into the hospital, I called my boss and I said, do you have an intern position at the pharmacy where I was working in Cheltenham? And he said, yes. And so I did my internship at a retail community pharmacy. It had really long hours. It was open till 8 a.m. until 10 p.m., seven days a week. It was a really great learning experience. Oh, my God. So after my internship, I'll always remember this. So I'd finished. I got registered. I was like, yeah, I passed. And to be honest, I I was dealing with some personal stuff because I was a gay man and I hadn't come out to anyone except myself. And literally, I don't know how this happened. The day after I past my registration exam, my sister comes and asks me if I was gay and I said, I think I am, and then the whole world turned upside down. And so I had to deal with kind of realising who I was and being proud of that. And then literally two weeks after that, my boss said, we're moving the manager from the pharmacy, he's buying a new store, we want you to manage this store. So two weeks I'd been a pharmacist and I was managing a store of eight staff. Let me tell you, it was a big learning curve of both personally (laughs) And professionally in that um, in that two years. So I did that for two years, I think, and I pretty much worked a lot. Worked seven days a week many times because I was really keen to try and make the most of the opportunity that my boss gave me to show that I could really step up and learn about running business. And I think the biggest thing I learned was the, the people are your biggest asset and working out what matters to them and how to get everyone to work together really well. Because I think as you're young, you, you think you're expected to know everything when you get a management role, but you're not. The biggest thing mm. I had was be open, be really open to learning and then applying that. Mm. But also, I guess I grew up, Ali, with a really strong work ethic. So very conscientious, mm. always tried to do the best work, make sure everything was mm. done before I left. And I think that's put me in good stead the whole way. And that boss at the time, his name was Alan Fail. He's passed away since. And he ended up being one of my first mentors. Taught me a lot about business. I confided in him that I was going through some personal issues about being gay back then. And he was really supportive. So I was lucky to have a great mentor. Yeah. So what are some of the lessons that you learned during your mentor that really helped you to develop? Yeah. So Alan was always, you have to understand that your customers are, you're there for them. And so he was always about establishing really good relationship with the people that walk in the door. And then trying to make the more people walk in the door by going out in the community. And so I always loved used to go out and talk to other communities or the local GP or physio. We had quite a nice connection with 
healthcare professionals in there, that you need to make sure that the bottom line is good. And so it taught me a lot of the business acumen that I didn't know when I kind of started out because in pharmacy school you learn all this clinical stuff and you mm-hmm. and we, we learned a little bit around management but not much. And so he really taught me a lot about cash flows and business management and stock control mm-hmm. and how to negotiate with deals with different suppliers and who's who. So I really knew how to navigate the community pharmacy system, the supply chain, mm-hmm. how to get the best deal for the, the pharmacy we also mm. talked about human resources. So Alan definitely taught me a lot around running a business, both from a professional standpoint, from a business standpoint, and from managing a people standpoint. He's really great. Mm. What are you working on right now? <laughs> so the other side of the coin. So right now I work for an organisation called Inventium and we are a science-based innovation, a behavioural science consultancy. So all that means like I have this title, which is quite bizarre, but quite cool at the same time. My role is called an inventiologist. It's just kind of our kooky way of saying inventium scientist. So we basically, we look at all the latest research from the top tier academic journals from around the world. And then we translate that into really practical tools to help people either innovate, become more productive, more focused, more engaged at work help companies build innovation strategies, build capabilities in their teams around innovation. And so it combines my love of inspiring people, like to really learn more in a really engaging way, but also everything that's based on empathy. So always putting people first and evidence. So what actually, there's no rubbish, like when I teach what's not true. And I think that was ingrained from the pharmacy education where everything is based on the evidence. You know, what you're doing now is different to a traditional pharmacist role. But what are some of the skills that you're still using from the pharmacy world? The first one would definitely be communication skills in empathy. So particularly in a community pharmacy setting, you get really good at trying to use good communication skills to put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're working with to understand what is going on, really get what the situation is. So that could be either in the pharmacy itself, when you're talking to people, when you visited people in their homes, either to chat with them or do a medication review, for example. You get really good at understanding what's important for them and how to help them. And that's been incredibly valuable in this role where it's the same principle, where you really use empathy to understand what is that customer's real need, what's their frustration, and then you work backwards using like a, a best practice innovation process that we follow to then work out, okay, how do we come up with some really great ideas to solve for that particular challenge? And then how do you quickly and cheaply test those using lean startup methodologies? And so empathy is definitely a big one. My ability to understand research and science has been really valuable. So I can literally trawl through lots of research papers and kind of learn quickly. And also the power of people. So either as a manager or leader, managing people as part of a team, working collaboratively has all been really important. Mm. So I, I don't think the pharmacology skills around ACE inhibitors is, is as important right now, but it's the other skills that you learn along the way. I know that you said earlier, open to opportunities, and you had a lot of different opportunities throughout your career. Can you tell us a bit more about what are some of the opportunities you had and how did you get those opportunities? The first was moving to London and I heard about that through some friends and networking. So I used to go to lots of events, either local events or, you know, those kind of big conference type things. And 
I definitely recommend those because it's a great place to network and talk to people that you don't normally talk to. And it's interesting you, you can learn so much from even people doing the same job as you but in a completely different store or location. It's been quite great. And I found out that there was an opportunity for pharmacists to work in London or England. There was a reciprocity. And so I always wanted to travel like I'd love traveling. The first thing I did after I think I finished my intern year was travel for six months or something. And so after that, I applied and I went to London and I was really lucky. I looked for lots of jobs over here and I actually had some phone interviews while I was here in Australia at like four in the morning or something crazy. It was awful, but I got a job. So it was really exciting. And then, so in the first four weeks in London, I worked for a chain called ABC. There was about 20 pharmacies in London and it was great. So I actually got a different pharmacy Every three days for four weeks as part of my four-week intern, I learned a lot. I also learned about different cultures and how to, how to move around London. I was like, no idea what I was doing. And, and then from there, I stayed on for about three years. And that was probably an incredible opportunity because at the time, they were changing over. It was called the white paper. So they pretty much changed community pharmacy to be more clinical focused to respond to the local primary health care needs. And so you had to do all this kind of education. And I thought, oh, my God, this is me like I'm a nerd, right? I was like, yes, I'm going to dive into this. And that's when we did things. I think they were called Essential and Advanced Healthcare Services and Medicine Usage Reviews, which were kind of a basic medication review. And the, the, the services were things like we do here now in Australia, like diabetes and cardiovascular type services as well as smoking cessation, there was things that we ran around mental health. And basically, it was determined on data from what was called primary care trusts, which is kind of similar to primary health networks or Medicare locals, but smaller because London has a massive population, so small geography, but still a massive amount of people there. And I got to travel around Europe too at the same time. And then when I came back, the opportunity I took up was locuming regionally around Victoria. Because I got back and I was all kind of, yeah, I don't want to dive into something. You know, I'm young. <laughs> and it was great. So for about maybe a year, it was amazing. I got paid really well. You get to explore these rural communities. Often your role in some of those communities as a pharmacist is big. Like there's no, some, I remember one, I can't remember where it was now. They, like the GP came once a week. So part of my role was literally to kind of prioritise, like who needs to see the GP first when she comes? <laughs> And so she would literally walk into the pharmacy on week two because you realised I had this big list when she came the first time. And she was like, Joey, okay, who do I need to see first? <laughs> and so it was, it was really valuable. So people would, I'd stayed in pharmacist homes. I think that was a really great learning opportunity. I don't think you can do it forever, but in that year, I was able to travel around regional Victoria. I made some really great money at the same time. <laughs> and so that was an opportunity I definitely took up. That was great. And then at that time, my Alan said, we want to start up a Priceline pharmacy. And that was unheard of back in the day. <laughs> it's like, what? That's that corporate store that sells shampoo. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll put my hand up. Ali, that was a big learning curve because they had no idea about pharmacy law. And I was trying to get them. I was like, no, you can't decide to put, you know, Christmas gifts in front of the dispensary. There's a thing called a professional service area. It's kind of, we worked out how to do it together. And that was a great learning curve as well. Also to get a different understanding of what a pharmacy business model could look like. So that was really good. Uh, then I was asked to move to Sydney and 
Salt Patterson Chemist. I don't even sure if they're still around. They were rebranding and they were setting up a whole bunch of new stores. And so my job was to open up Greenfield Salt. Again, a big learning curve. I didn't know about New South Wales law and what you needed to do. Like I was like, not prepared in dealing with builders and labourers and people building stores and hiring staff. But again, I put my hand up and I learnt along the way. Mm. And so that was a really great experience to to give that a go. Then after that, well, I realised that maybe pharmacy was not something that I really loved doing in terms of the community setting because I was lucky enough to do one of the first ever like community pharmacy programs back then. I think they were called Diabetes Medication Assistance Service, something like that. And I loved doing those components. And so I, then I got into, when I came back to Melbourne, going to Monash University and teaching as part of the intern program because I love the teaching component. And then I, from there, I got asked to work with the Pharmacy Guild and teach the Pharmacy Assistant Program. I loved that. That was probably one of my favourite parts because when you run a store, you realise that not only is the pharmacist important, but every single individual in that team is equally important. And so the way that you can educate and support each other makes a big difference. Actually, I'll tell you the story around talking to someone after I came back from the UK and I said, there's something wrong because we used to run a chlamydia testing service in my pharmacy in the UK. And I said, for some reason, as pharmacists, we know nothing around sexual health and we're supposed to be healthcare practitioners. And I said, I've learned more of it from the gay magazines that I used to read around sexual health than I ever had from any like pharmacy journal. I said, that's not wrong. And I can't remember who I was talking to. It was someone at the PSA and they said, oh, that's really interesting. And literally two weeks later, they gave me a call and they said, oh, do you want to come and talk at our sexual health conference we're running? And I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> and so from there, I did a whole bunch of research on what was kind of important for people to understand. And it was about facts and fallacies. <laughs> it was like what people thought was true and what was actually true. So I kind of just cleared that up. And then that from there, I got asked to speak at one of their national conferences and that got picked up by all the states. And so I went around Australia teaching around sexual health, particularly focused on the national kind of sexual transmissible infectious disease strategy and how pharmacists play a role. And then I got asked to apply for a job at PSA, leading their professional development, and I got it. And that was so much fun because you have to align all these different states to kind of work out what's most important, like overall, leading to Australia's health priorities, but locally. And then from there, they said, no, you're, you're too kind of, you like talking to people. So we're not going to put you inbound, you're going to go out. <laughs> so I, I started talking to governments and pharmaceutical companies and other healthcare providers to work out how we could do different programs. And I think the biggest one that I was most proud of was two. I think we we launched the national HIV strategy to align with the World Health Organization. And so in 2015, HIV medicines became accessible through community pharmacy. And that eventually led to some other stuff around PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is also available through community pharmacy years later. Yeah. Uh, and we then led some new conferences at the PSA. And I love doing that because you get an opportunity to get a, a bunch of people from around Australia together really passionate about it and develop a program that not only built clinical skills but talked about new services and some other stuff that was happening around the world. And so I really loved that. At the same time, I applied for a role because I thought I've always wanted to be on a board. Like I want to know what it's about. <laughs> I really want to understand what this board thing is about. And so I applied for this role and I researched everything around 
clinical governance and governance and skills. And so it looked like when I went for this interview, I knew everything. But I only had been studying it for about a week. Like, <laughs> And so I got this role. And that was really interesting to learn about the role of a regulator. So they existed to basically keep the public safe. And so that that gave me some really good understanding of the importance of governance and overseeing companies as a people as opposed to actually managing and leading, overseeing the whole kind of strategic piece. Yeah. And also dealing directly with health departments. That was interesting as well, both good and bad. Mm. And I got to meet some great people as well, like Steve Marty, who passed away a few years ago as well, along the way. Wow. What amazing journey I think what I've learned from all that is you really open to all opportunities that you're not afraid of trying so you're not afraid of no. just do it I don't don't get me wrong lots of setbacks so like I knew where I wanted to be so I wanted to do something that was around either innovation or leadership they're the two things that I'm passionate about and so I knew I needed to do like an MBA program so I did that and after I finished that I applied for maybe 10 different types of roles and all of them like no no like lots of lots of you're gonna get lots of knockbacks so you you kind of like you get upset and then you pick yourself up and you're okay keep going and I love your positive attitude Ali that comes down to me for a couple of things you've got to have a really good network of friends and family mm. and people that are true friends and family and I've learned that over the years I thought there were people that were good friends and you learn over the years they're not so you can have that support I also learned the value of mentors and coaches along the way so one for me I then when I was working at a pharmacy in another one in Cheltenham I sought out a gentleman who was quite well known I won't talk about who he is and I asked him to be my mentor and he said yes and then he actually said to me after a year that he said you've outgrown me you need to find someone else and so I've continued along that journey I've had any coaches and mentors. I even have a coach. Her name's Christine. She's amazing. She lives in Queensland now. She used to live here, so we still catch up regularly. And she does definitely help me along the way. I've been lucky enough to have my my partner Russell. He's also a really good mentor as well. So that's been lucky. And also my dad is is quite a clever clever man in his time. And so I'm really lucky to have family and friends that are supportive. But mm. one thing I recommend to students is definitely seek out some mentors. And if there are people that you like out there, approach them, talk to them, but really think about what it is you want from that mentorship. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I've spoken to many students. They don't know how to reach out to mentors. Yeah. The thing that I learned is that you can't beat face-to-face. So go out to events. So if they're local lectures or networking events or conferences, go out and talk to people. And so my advice here, and this is what one of my mentors advised me when I went to my first big conference, he said, who do you want to go and meet? And so I wrote the list down. He's like, okay, great. When you see them, what are you going to say? I was like, I don't know. He goes, well, work it out. Work out what you want to say. So you actually... Plan the events in advance, and I still do this today. Work out who it is you want to make speak, who you want to speak to, why you want to speak to them, and what would be the best case scenario of their outcome. Mm. And so I knew that I wanted to speak. There was five individuals at the first conference, and he helped me work out, okay, well, so you want to see Ali. What do you want to get to talk to Ali about? Why is that important? Mm. And so for me, I'm very personal. I can go straight up. So I was like, oh, my God, you're Ali. I love your podcast. And we talk about it. <laughs> 
And so that's the what I've always done, always prepare. So in everything that you do, you need to be ready to have a conversation, know who it is. And so they, if, if nothing happens from that moment, they know who you are. Mm. I met Ali, she was really cool, very entrepreneurial. And so if you reach out to them again, they'll know who you are. Likewise, when you use former platforms like LinkedIn, mm. be specific about what you are, who you are, what you want and why you think that that person should offer their time because everyone's time poor. Yeah. And don't be afraid to get, what's the term that people use, ghosted or like don't be afraid that you don't get a response. Yeah. And that's okay. Don't take offence. It's probably that person just thought, oh, that's nice and didn't respond because they're too busy. Yeah, yeah. Don't take offence. And don't think that it has to be a high-profile person to be a valuable mentor either. So it could be someone in a local club, whatever it is. I don't know if you play badminton or something. Like really look out for people that you think, I really like the way they talk to people, advise people. I like the way they do that. And even just you can, you know, go out for a cup of coffee or go for a walk. And there's also some really great mentoring opportunities out there as well, depending on what you're after. So Google it. You might find things. So I'm interested in becoming a mentor now for the Pinnacle Foundation. I'm still going through the process and that helps young LGBTI kids in need, that scholarships for schools and things, and you help them kind of get back on their feet. And so you can look for those kind of things in your in your area as well. If you restart your career again, would you do something differently? Is there anything that you think could have changed it or done better? That's a good question. I probably no, no. I've always loved furniture. Maybe I could be a furniture designer. No, the thing that I would change is that don't think that you are always in the right. So I remember believing some stuff. And when I met this person once, I said, oh, my God, how can you work for this organization or corporation? And, And it was only because someone, you know, there was a popular belief or a group of people that thought a certain way. So I believed that. I always think my own, my own lesson would be meet the person and get to know who they are and the organisation they work for is not always what you think. So just be open and don't judge people based on what other people think is true or, or those kind of things. That's probably been my biggest learning. I remember there was two occasions, I won't talk about them here, where I thought, oh, in hindsight, that was a really silly, naive thing to do. Hmm. You never know, both personally, in terms of my value set, I didn't feel right. You know, when it doesn't feel right in your gut. Hmm. But also professionally, those people are going to be someone that you might bump into or work with or network with in the future. So you want to make sure that, who was that boss? I think it was one of my bosses in London said, never burn your bridges, always keep them open, which is really valuable. Even if you've worked somewhere, let's say as a student, you work somewhere part-time and you really couldn't stand someone in there. (laughs) Don't tell them that when you leave. Just go, it was nice to work with you. Thank you for the opportunity and off you go because you want to make sure that you leave on good terms, never on bad terms. Wow, good advice. Another question I have is you do a lot of networking. As a student, we feel like we don't have a lot to give back. You know, we feel like in networking we have to give people valuable things for exchange. What's the best way to keep networking and build relationships? The first is your mindset. You have lots to give. And so I think in networking, networking with other students is equally as important as networking with people that are already working in terms of pharmacists or other likewise. 
really valuable because these people will be your friends throughout your work life. If you get involved with your student bodies and go to those national events, you get to meet a whole bunch of different students from different areas around Australia. And they will be the people that will grow with you in your career. And if you mm. establish a great networking group as a student, that will put you in good stead in the future because they will get jobs and they will get promoted in different areas and you can keep those connections alive. So networking with students is equally as valuable. Networking with students outside of pharmacy is really important because sometimes in any industry you get fed information specific to pharmacy, right? It's just like it's all around pharmacy and services. and, And so it's really great to take your blinkers off and be open to what's happening out in the world because it's something that you'll then use back in whatever career that you choose to do. So I learned about a program where people would, diabetes educators would take their patients to the supermarket to kind of educate on what things to buy in terms of food. And I thought, why don't we do that in the pharmacy? So I did. I literally called this educator. I said, would you come and do this for a couple of my patients or my customers or clients? And so literally in a week I had 10 people sign up and we paid for it. I don't know how much it was. So those kind of things are good just to get be exposed to different different ideas. And what else was there? Networking. Definitely start with your students and outside your organisation and then go to the events where those people are. Mm. I personally love, I think it's a big core value of mine, is meeting and learning from people. Mm. So the fact that I'm learning from you today, Ali, around Zencaster and how you do podcasts is great because podcast has been a great way for me to learn. And my, my current founder and boss, she runs a podcast called How I Work. Hmm. And it's like a million subscribers or something crazy. So it's a great opportunity to learn from talking to different people. So it's one way to kind of get that diversity of thought. My last question is if you can give one advice to our pharmacy student to build a successful pharmacy career, what it would be? Care about what you do. Keep yourself open to opportunities. Actually make sure that you're proud of the work that you do every single day because that will make you feel good and that will definitely be something that people around you will see. And don't think that a career is stuck by something that other people are doing. So I look at you, Ali, and I thought, oh, my God, when I graduated like 100 years ago, podcasting. And so it's you don't know what's out there. And I teach this now that, that the jobs that will exist for those people going through high school don't exist today. And so keep learning, keep making sure that you stay on top of things and the skills that you learn in pharmacy, you can use everywhere. In my time at the PSA, one of my roles was in strategic partnerships. And I was amazed there was pharmacists working in the health insurance industry, in banks, in primary healthcare networks, in government roles, literally in all these different roles, in kind of pharmaceutical wholesalers, in pharmaceutical companies and drug companies. Like there's so many cool pharmacists in that industry. I don't know if you guys get exposed to that in pharmacy college now, like so many. So there's there's lots of opportunities. So don't feel like you have to do community or hospital. There is a lot of opportunities out there and talking with lots of different students and networking really helps you work out what that is. Mm. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. 
If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone else who you think would benefit from it, we would be grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we help even more pharmacists develop a career and life they love. If you have any questions or suggestions about future podcast episodes, please reach out to us via email info at ravensrecruitment.com.au.